This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. Pre-construction home sales are key to bringing on new housing supply. In order for a builder to get their project off the ground, a substantial proportion of a project's units must be pre-sold to end users or investors before lenders will advance construction financing. Over the better part of the last two decades, TREB member realtors have become increasingly integrated in both sides of the pre-construction sales environment. Like the purchase of any property, the sale of a pre-construction home has its nuances. To avoid painful surprises, buyers need to understand how the process of buying a home at the pre-construction stage of development, be it a condo or single-family home, differs from buying a home on the resale market. Fortunately, we have David Young with us today to walk us through the process. David is a real estate lawyer with the Sorbera Law and TREB instructor. He brings with him 10 years of experience in the pre-construction industry. So welcome, David, to our podcast today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for that introduction, Jason. It's great to be here. Well, let's jump right in. In Ontario, there is a key difference between buying a pre-construction condo and buying a pre-construction freehold home The buyer should know about. The buyer of a pre-construction condo is given a 10-day cooling off period where they can choose to cancel the purchase of an agreement. Could you explain how this works and what you recommend the potential buyer does during this period? Of course. So let us imagine that you have a client, they're purchasing a unit. You as the realtor negotiate for the best layout, location and capped costs. The purchaser will then sign the agreement of purchase and sale or the APS. As soon as it's signed back by the builder, the 10-day cooling off period begins automatically. 10 days include the day of signing, weekends, and holidays. So the 10 days fly by pretty quickly. And once the 10 days are up, the purchase goes firm automatically. So therefore, it's very important that you get the agreement to a lawyer as soon as possible to have it reviewed. My turnaround for review is generally two business days. Then, if we have any legal requests for changes, cap costs, deleted, it may then take another two or three days to hear back from the builder's lawyer. Therefore, it's very, very important you have a known lawyer ready to assist as soon as that agreement is signed. This not only protects the purchaser, but also protects realtors. Realtors do not want to be in a position in five years from now when final closing comes up and they have a very upset client on their hands. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, certainly if 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 I'm a client, I'm working with a realtor, uh, probably one of the pieces of advice I'm going to get or should get uh, from that individual is that you should have your your ducks in a row in terms of your your legal counsel, you know, prior to visiting the sales center and potentially uh, uh, signing an agreement, even with that that 10 day cooling off provision. Absolutely. And so, you know, what if during that period, you know, I, uh, there, there, there's something in that agreement or I just simply get cold feet as a, as a buyer and I decide to walk away? How, how do I make that happen? Well, as I mentioned earlier, once the 10 days are up, the purchase goes firm automatically. It's like silence equals acceptance. 
So if you do want to walk away, you have to say something. It should be a notice sent to the builder notifying them of your decision to rescind or walk away from the purchase. This written notice must be sent via email or fax. Very important. Interesting. So again, uh, very important to have a, a competent legal counsel working on your side that that are oh, yes. the nuances and ins and outs of this, you know, particular uh, um, you know portion of the real estate market. I think what's interesting and probably what a lot of uh, potential new home buyers don't know is is that things do differ uh, between the condo side of the uh, of the of the of the market and say the freehold side of the market. And, and currently, the the cooling off period only applies to the sale of pre-construction condos, not freehold homes, but there may be change on the horizon. Uh, the provincial government is thinking about implementing a, a cooling off period for new freehold homes as well. Uh, where is the government in this process? And, and based on what you've heard, would the cooling off period work the same way as it does with pre-construction condos? Yes, Jason, you're correct. Uh, on March 31st, the provincial government announced they're conducting a new public consultation period with consumer groups, the home, home building sector, and the public themselves to introduce a cooling off period for new freehold homes. As I understand it, it should operate in a similar manner to the current 10-day cooling off period for condos. One key difference to note is that right now, condo purchases do not always state clearly that there is a 10-day cooling off period. So the government is also considering implementing a requirement for builders to make it very clear up front that the 10-day cooling off period is included in the agreement. As a real estate lawyer, I'm happy that the government is considering these changes because right now, if you're buying a new freehold home, the process is quite rushed. I would receive a blank copy of the agreement for review and the signing appointment might be less than 24 hours notice. So by introducing a similar 10-day cooling off period for freehold homes, this will give the review the time it really deserves. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and and to your point as well, just having more transparency, whether we're talking about the condo market or the freehold market in, in terms of, you know, that this 10 day cooling off period is available or may become available if we're talking about the the uh, the, the the freehold side of things. I guess I want to move on from that cooling off period, which we, we've talked a bit about here and, and sort of think about, well, what happens on the other side of that? Um, and so let's assume that the the deal goes firm. Um, and at some point in the future, um, you know, that 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 condo building, for example, is is, is reaching the completion phase. Um, but there's a couple of different closing dates uh, that, that a buyer is going to be faced with, aren't there? There's an interim occupancy closing date and then a final closing date. Maybe talk a little bit about what the differences are there. Yes. Yeah, so specifically for condos, you have two stages of closing. Interim occupancy closing is when your unit is ready. It's when the unit is deemed fit for occupancy and there's an occupancy permit issued by the city, but the rest of the building hasn't yet be com been completed. Most commonly, builders work will work from bottom to top. So right. it completely depends on where you are in the building on when your interim occupancy date is. But as soon as that, that date happens, you effectively become a tenant at this time. You have the right to occupy the unit, but you don't have ownership. So you can't sell it. You cannot rent it out without getting the consent of the builder or the developer. Then a number of months will pass, uh, then you have final closing. Final closing is when the condominium corporation is registered. It's when title is transferred to the purchaser and they of course receive ownership of the unit. This is also the same time that the builder collects the balance of the purchase price, uh, which is generally paid via a mortgage. 
Yeah, so obviously some key differences between the interim and, and final closing dates. Now, thinking about that interim closing date, I mean, we'll often hear about people saying, well, my date was supposed to be at such and such a time and it's been and it's been pushed because of construction delays and, and, and what have you. And these things happen um, in a lot of different projects. And so are there any protections against these delays? Can people walk away if their, their interim closing date isn't met? How does that work? Yeah, so this is a common complaint over the last number of years as a result of various COVID-related delays or trade union strikes. Uh, but purchasers are protected. Any purchase that's covered by the Tarian Warranty Corporation is obligated to provide a page that has a statement of critical dates on it. So it'll have four dates on it. And as I said, it's mandated by Tarian. They're the body responsible for the new home warranty program in Ontario. Um, so it's You'll have that timeline as soon as you sign the agreement. You can go and have a look at those dates. So what you have is the first tentative occupancy date. So that's the earliest date the builder thinks the unit will be ready for occupancy. Then the second date is a notice period. So generally, they will have to give you at least 90 days notice of any delay to that tentative occupancy date. Now, if the builder fails to give you notice of the delay by this date, you may be able to claim compensation depending on the type of delay and whether it's caused directly by the builder. Um, this is also through Tarion. It's called the Delayed Closing Programme. Um, and it gives you $150 per day for each day of delay, up to a limit of 7,500 or 50 days. Now, to answer your question about will the purchaser have an option to walk away, they will not have an option to walk away until the delay reaches the outside occupancy date. This is the sort of latest date the builder can provide occupancy. At that point, the purchaser has a decision. Decision. They then have 30 days from that outside occupancy date to notify the builder in writing if they want to walk away. This is called the purchaser's termination period. But you must keep in mind that the difference between that first date and that last date could be anywhere between two years to 10 years. It really does depend on the development and each individual builder. Wow, so that's interesting. And again, it, it really sort of highlights the need to, you know, be carefully reading the document yourself as, as a potential home buyer, but also getting competent legal counsel to to, to review it as well. Um, and certainly taking, well, yeah. you know, the advice of your realtor as well that may have been, you know, very active in, in that pre-construction sale market as well over time and sort of seeing what, you know, some of the nuances and pitfalls may be. Uh, so, you know, very interesting. And, and, and let's sort of think about, you know, once that interim occupancy date is, is is reached and buyers actually start paying these fees, you've often heard people call these fees, you know, things like quote unquote phantom rent. But let's talk a little bit more about what these fees actually account for. And can, can you sort of break them down for us? So there's certain tranches, I guess, yeah. that parts of those fees uh, go into and back to the builder. Yeah, so interim occupancy fees or phantom rent or phantom mortgage, they're all mandated to have three separate parts within that fee. We have, uh, first of all, an estimate for common expenses or condo fees. That's based on a budget set by the builder. Uh, the second part is an estimate towards property taxes or realty taxes. This amount is decided by the builder or their lawyer during the interim occupancy period. The amount could be reasonable, could be unreasonable. I've seen it estimated at 1% of the purchase price, 1% or 1.5% of the purchase price. It does vary. Uh, and then the last part, the biggest part of the interim occupancy fee is interest on the balance of the purchase price. So let's say you have put down 20% uh, 
you have 80% left over to pay, uh, you have to pay interest on that. The interest rate is set against the Bank of Canada one-year conventional mortgage rate. So it does go up or down depending on what the Bank of Canada decides to do. As of now, in April 2023, the rate is 6.29%. So all three of these things roll together to make that one payment, the interim occupancy fee that you pay each and every month during the interim occupancy period. So thinking about these you know, three categories that the occupancy fees go into, um, obviously buyers aren't going to be able to avoid occupancy fees altogether, uh, but is there any yeah. way that they can minimize them? Yeah, so you're correct. So obviously they cannot avoid the maintenance fees at the condo fees, and they cannot avoid property or realty taxes. The only thing they can do is try and reduce the amount of interest that they're paying. Um, so the only way to reduce the interest is to put down a larger deposit during the construction period or on that interim occupancy closing day. As I mentioned earlier, the standard structure is to do 20% down, 80% left over to pay, but the larger the deposit, the less interest you pay. Now, the Another question I get is how many months will I pay the interim occupancy fees? The average wait time is in the GTA right now between two months and 12 months. So, you know, if you're saving $500 a month, $1,000 a month in interest, it can add up to be a, a very nice saving. Right. So I guess, you know, everyone's situation is different. So you'd have to kind of think about that calculation based on what's in the agreement, um, you know, versus your your ability to to, to put more down um, yeah. at the at the outset. So after internal occupancy, uh, the big day arrives and, and finally, you know, you're going to you're going to close and the title of the property is going to transfer to you for for pre-construction condos or freehold homes there are some final closing costs to think about over and above you know the balance of payment that needs to transfer to the to the builder and you get your keys and you got things like builders costs land transfer legal fees um and and then of course the the HST rebate so let's start with builder costs uh what are these and 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 what kind of buyer or the realtor do to to negotiate them so builder cost, the, the biggest builder cost is the various levies passed along by the various levels of government. I'm talking about development charges, education levies, park levies, or community benefit charges. Uh, you then have some smaller ones like utility connection costs or fees to assign the unit, fees to rent out the unit during occupancy. I could go on and on. Right. Um, Development charges are the largest potential closing costs. If left uncapped, these costs are massive. I've seen units in rare circumstances hit close to $100,000 in uncapped levies. So uh, realtors or purchasers should attempt to negotiate a cap on these costs with the sales staff in advance as incentives do change day by day. Um, of course, when the review comes over to the lawyer, the, the three biggest things that I look out for in reviewing an agreement are cap development charges, cap levies, the right to assign a unit, and the right to lease the unit during occupancy. So realtors and, and purchasers alike should keep these items in mind when negotiating for the unit. A lawyer, of course, will always keep an eye out for these items at the time of the review. And if certain items are not capped, the lawyer will send a letter to the builder's lawyer um, asking for changes or deletions or caps. Understood. Now, 
we had, we had talked about property taxes a little bit earlier in terms of the, the interim occupancy period. Um, but when final closing takes place, chances are that that building hasn't been assessed yet. Let's say on the condo side of things or, or even, you know, a, a single family home may not have been assessed yet. And, and so taxes, you know, you can't get your tax bill. Uh, from the from the municipality you're in, but obviously it's going to come at some point uh, in the future. So what happens with that? What happens if they're not assessed right off the bat? How do we figure out who's responsible for what taxes and what have you? Yeah, so there's a delay at the provincial level right now. MPAC is the body responsible for uh, assessing properties, and due to the high number of new homes in the province and you know related COVID delays, uh, the wait times for your first a property tax assessment could be as high as one to two years at the moment. So during this period, the purchasers are responsible for property taxes, but they will not be getting a bill. So eventually when the property is assessed, they'll receive a very large backdated bill, which can be very scary, very large. So right. uh, what most builders are doing, they're building into their agreement the right to take a lump sum from purchasers on closing. This could be, again, around 1%, 1.5% of the purchase price, but it's always going to be readjusted once you get that first bill. So effectively, if you have paid something up front, it makes that first big bill much easier to stomach later because let's say the first bill for a couple of years is $10,000, but you've already paid $5,000 towards that bill. That definitely reduces the pain of that first bill. That's good. And I guess you're going in then eyes wide open because you've read through the agreement, your lawyers reviewed it, you understand that part of those interim occupancy fees are going towards uh, property taxes and that, you, you know, so the hope then is, is that there's not some big surprise upon uh, closing or or in the months after after closing where you have an additional, uh, an additional yeah. cost. Yeah. Now, sort of thinking about these 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 builder costs and what have you we've seen a lot of changes to housing policy um over the last few years as we move through election cycles at all three levels of government in ontario for example there's an act passed last november uh that made significant changes to land use planning building codes and conservation and heritage protection it also impacted builder costs uh, and so what is the, the More Homes Built Faster Act, also known as Bill 23, what does it mean for builders' costs in Ontario? And how's that going to affect, you know, both the builder, but also the buyer properties? So as I mentioned earlier, one of the largest closing costs is development charges and other levies. So what Bill 23 is doing is it's freezing the increase in development charges, park levies, and community benefit charges. And it's also introducing discounts for speedy builds if you get something built within a reasonable amount of time and it's also providing exemptions for affordable housing or rental housing and um, as i said earlier these costs the development charges are generally passed on to purchasers either in full or partially through a capped amount so the hope is that with frozen or reduced costs will be a trickle down approach so reduced cost to builders means reduced costs to purchasers to just give you an example of why the provincial government is doing this, development charges alone have skyrocketed over the last 10 years. In the city of Toronto, on a two-bed condo, the development charges now are over $53,000. That represents a roughly 350% increase since 2013. They were about $12,000 back then. So as you can tell, those increases are, are, are or have been going up for years and years now. So this is the provincial government 
trying to put a freeze on these and hopefully pass along those savings along to along to the end users. Yeah, I guess certainly just from an affordability perspective, certainly any kind of savings would be would be welcome. But it also seems to take a little bit of uncertainty out of the equation that may not have been there um, in the past, especially, you know, if you if you hadn't, say, capped the development fees yeah. within your agreement, um, there's there's, uh, you know, the sky could be the limit, so to speak, in terms of, you know, how much more you may be paying unexpectedly um, upon upon closing. Um, I, I guess another cost that you mentioned and, and, and we talked about a little bit on closing or, or not really a cost, but rather a bit of relief uh, would be the HST rebate. Um, now, how how a buyer would receive that rebate depends on whether the home will be their primary place of residence or whether they'll be renting it out to tenants. So how do the two different rebates work and how do people apply for them? So, Jason, I could talk about the HST rebates for a very long time. For like an hour. If yeah. I want to keep it simple here, there's two rebates. There's the HST residential rebate and the HST rental rebate. 99% or the large majority of pre-construction agreements will be drafted with the presumption that the purchasers will be living there. So what that means is, is the HST residential rebate is already built in and deducted from the purchase price already. So if Purchasers are living in the property. They do not need to do anything. They don't need to pay anything or apply for anything. It's relatively simple. As long as you or a close relative live in the property, that's it. Very simple. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. Let's say you're not living there. Say you're renting it. The builder will then add on that HST residential rebate to the purchase price on closing. Since you won't qualify for it, you need to pay for it on final closing. After final closing, if you have a, a one-year lease in your hand signed by a tenant, you can apply directly to the CRA for the HST rental rebate. You can either submit that through a traditional paper application or there's a relatively new online application that you can access through your My CRA account. You have two years to apply for the HST rental rebate, but why wait? You should apply as soon as you have everything in hand. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, while uh, the, the the condo purchase process may be initially pointed at, uh, at at any users, we know that, you know, a lot of rental properties that have come online, the great majority, in fact, of rental properties that have come online in the GTA and certainly drilling down to the city of Toronto over the past number of years have actually been on the back uh, of investor condo owners. Um, so it's important exactly. to that there are, you know, two different processes that, that people may have to follow in order to, to take advantage of that, that rebate. Now, the purchase price of the home obviously affects how the, the HST rebate is, is calculated. So how do you calculate the HST rebate for, for differently priced homes? So when the purchase price is under $484,500, there is a rather complex formula used to calculate the rebates. The rebates will generally be between $17,000 and $27,500. Uh, so if you ever have a question about how to calculate the rebate, ask me. <laughs> but if the purchase price is over that limit, the over $484,501, the calculation is very simple. It's a flat $24,000, no matter the sticker purchase price. It could be $800,000, million. $2 million, the HST rebates at that price will always be $24,000. 
That's interesting. Well, certainly in the GTA, in most cases, the, the latter yeah. scenario is is, is going to apply. But certainly, you know, TREB members are, are working across the Greater Golden Horseshoe um, in, in many cases. And in fact, you know, the breadth of their coverage has expanded over the years. So I think even the, 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 the former scenario may apply in some cases, especially when you got first time buyers uh, um, in, in regions outside of the the GTA. So it's good to know that there are a couple of different paths that that could uh, that that could follow. Well, I have to say we've covered a lot um, in a in a relatively short period of time, or we're, we're almost reaching the end of our of our episode here. But maybe to conclude, um, you know, thinking about what we've already talked about so far, can you give any sort of final advice for a pre-construction buyer that we haven't covered off already? What are some sort of key areas that you always got to be mindful of, whether you're an end user or or an investor looking to to purchase at the pre-construction stage? Of course, uh, Jason. Thank you so much for the great questions today. We've covered some great topics. If there's one thing that I want your listeners to take away today is bring your lawyer into the conversation early and make sure the lawyer is one that's well-versed in pre-construction purchases. When you bring them into the conversation and get their expertise early, your purchase is starting off on the right foot. Nobody likes surprises. So by bringing a lawyer in early, we can try and circumvent those issues that I've seen arise over my career. And there can be a lot of issues. So as I said, make sure you bring in the lawyer nice and early. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. It's important to have that 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 professional uh, uh, representation, whether you're talking about a lawyer, a realtor, a financial advisor, all that in place, you know, before you get into the the uh, the nitty gritty of, of purchasing a home, because things move quickly. There's a lot of emotion in that decision as well. So it's good to have sort of third parties that can, you know, provide you uh, uh, an alternate point of view as you're making what could be uh, for a lot of households, the largest investment that yeah. you'll uh, you'll make. Uh, so I want to thank you again, David Young, for for letting people know what to expect uh, when they're purchasing and, and closing on a, on a pre-construction uh, home, whether we're talking about a, a condominium apartment or whether we're talking about some form of, of, of freehold purchase. So again, thank you very much for taking part. Thank you so much, Jason. And make sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you again next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.